1: I mentioned in the first episode of this series that Paul's letter to the Galatians is often understood as having three basic divisions. In the first two chapters, he is defending his authority as an apostle. In the second two chapters, he is clarifying the doctrine of justification. And then in the final two chapters, he's dealing with some of the logical and necessary implications of the gospel. Thus, here in chapter 3, we enter into the second section of the letter, what I think most scholars would identify as the central and principal concern of the apostle. Paul established his authority so that he could reiterate the gospel. Authority is not an end unto itself. Authority is given so that people may know the means by which they may be saved, and that is the issue— that Paul turns his attention to here so here now the word of the Lord beginning at verse 1 O foolish Galatians who has bewitched you it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith are you so foolish So here the Apostle Paul seeks to demolish the argument of the Judaizers with a single stroke. These teachers who have infiltrated the Galatian churches have been saying that in order to be a Christian, in order to be saved, people have to believe in Jesus, yes, but they also have to become Jews according to the ritual of circumcision. But Paul here completely overturns their argument. He first of all appeals to their own experience. He says, Did you receive the Holy Spirit by engaging in ritual acts? Did you receive the Spirit by keeping ceremonial laws? No, you received the Spirit by hearing with faith. If if you have the Spirit, you've been accepted by God. So why would you now begin to trust in ceremonies and rituals? That isn't what your own experience would suggest is the critical factor. Paul then turns and makes an appeal to Holy Scripture. He says, what does the Bible say? On what basis was Abraham accepted before God? By the ritual of circumcision or on the basis of faith? The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So the Bible and your experience argue together against this heresy of the Judaizers. And if you'd been thinking straight, Paul says, you would have seen that already for yourself. R. Alan Cole says here, While it is true that for Paul, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, it is equally true, to enlarge a famous definition, that theology for him is nothing more than the ordinary rules of grammar and logic applied to the text of Scripture. Closed quote. He's saying a plain, straightforward reading of the Bible should be all you need to avoid the beguiling influences of false teachers. You shouldn't need a philosophy degree. You don't need to have been to seminary. You just need to read your Bible and keep your head screwed on straight. The Bible says that long before Abraham was a Jew, long before the law and the rituals of Judaism, he was justified before God, on the basis of faith, just like you. He goes on to say in verse seven, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Let's just pause here and notice that the gospel is a big category word. Paul says here that the gospel was preached to Abraham and the content in that case was that in Abraham or in his seed, all the nations would be blessed. According to Paul, that was the gospel in a broad sense. We like to say at my church that the gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ to secure our salvation. Gospel is a message about what God is doing to defeat our enemy and to bring us home to Himself. Now, clearly, there is a lot of detail that Abraham does not yet have. What he knows—that is the gospel—is that God has taken the field, that God intends to bless, and that Abraham and his seed will play a critical role in that process. That's what he has. That's what he knows. Abraham believed that and it was credited to him as righteousness. Faith in the Old Testament is forward-looking faith. It looks forward to what God will do through the seed of Abraham to secure our salvation. Faith in the New Testament is backward-looking faith. It looks back to what God did do through the seed of Abraham for our salvation, but the focus of both is the person and work of Christ. Therefore, it is all the same faith. Martin Luther, for example, said here, By this we may see that the faith of our fathers in the Old Testament and ours now in the New is all one, although they differ in their outward objects. Verse 9 says, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I think it'd be fair to say that this is the theological center of Paul's letter to the Galatians. This is the heart of the heart of the gospel right here. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us us. That sounds a lot like 2 Corinthians 5.21 where Paul said, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what theologians call the great exchange. All our sin is placed upon Christ on the cross. He bears it. More than that, the Bible says he becomes it. And by bearing it even unto death, he pays the penalty for our sin and he satisfies the just requirements of God. And in exchange, he clothes us in his righteousness. We hang our rags on Christ and he hangs his holiness on us. He became sin. He became the curse that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the heart of the heart of the heart of the Christian gospel. Thanks be to God. So what should we see when we look upon Christ on the cross? Luther says, you shall see sin, death, the wrath of God, hell, the devil, and all evils vanquished and mortified by him. Hallelujah. What a savior. What a salvation. Thanks be to God. Paul now illustrates his main point by means of an example. In verse 15, he says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. So here Paul makes a very straightforward argument. He says that if we are careful to seal and preserve earthly wills and testaments so that they aren't opened or tampered with until it is time to fulfill the conditions, how much more should we view the divine testament as sealed and untampered with until the appropriate time? The divine testament was made to Abraham. God willed, you might say, for Abraham to inherit all the blessings of the kingdom in his seed. So Paul is speaking figuratively here. He said that this is an illustration. He's saying it's it's like God made a will and he said he was going to leave all of his blessings to a son of Abraham. That was the will. Then it was sealed. And we ought not to expect any changes to that will until the sun arrives. But then what about the law? What does it have to do with inheriting the blessings? Paul's answer is nothing. The law came 430 years after the will was sealed. Whatever it was, it was definitely not about changing the conditions of the will. It it was a thing, but it was a different thing. The inheritance isn't given to those who best fulfill the law. The inheritance is given according to the promise contained in the unaltered will. Verse 19, why then the law? Now that might be the most important question in all the Bible because there are at least two ways you can get this wrong. You can think that the law is how you earn the inheritance, how you earn salvation. That is an actual heresy that the Judaizers, in this case, were guilty of. The law is not the means of salvation. But of course, you can get this wrong in another way too. You can think that because the law is not the way of salvation, therefore it has no value at all. But that is the heresy of antinomianism, right? That's no good either. So Paul is asking the question, why then the law? And he says, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So Paul says the law was added because of transgressions. The law functions to restrain our headlong descent into sin, foolishness, and debauchery. Verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So Paul is asking and answering very good questions here. Is the law contrary to the promises of God. Does the law oppose the gospel? No, the law isn't the gospel, but the law doesn't oppose the gospel. The law defines what is sin and teaches people that they are sinners so that the promise by faith might be given to those who believe. Those words, so that, are very important. The law convicts us of sin so that we may know that we shall obtain salvation only through faith in Jesus Christ. Thus, the law restrains sin and drives people to the person and work of Christ. Verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned, until the coming faith that would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. That word translated by the ESV as guardian is sometimes translated as schoolmaster or teacher. The law thus has an educational function and a disciplinary function. It is exactly what children need, children, in respect to the things of God. It restrains and punishes our foolish tendencies, and it points us in the direction of wisdom, life, and salvation. In the ancient world, a father would hire a teacher to discipline and educate his children so as to prepare them to inherit his property. That is exactly what Paul is saying about the law. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Here Paul says that with the coming of Christ and with all he accomplished, having put away the curse, having lived a perfect life, having satisfied all the righteous demands of God, having ascended into heaven and having poured out the Holy Spirit upon all who believe, with all of that now in place, we no longer need a schoolmaster. We are adults now with respect to the things of God. We are filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and loving the Word of God. We are ready now to be the children of God. And that is what we are. We aren't Jews or Greeks anymore with respect to these salvation blessings. We aren't male or female anymore with respect to these salvation blessings. We are full-fledged members of the household of God. We are all heirs with Christ according to the promise. That's what Paul is saying. If you are Abraham's heir through faith in Christ, then you are a son or a daughter of God. You are free with respect to the law. You should still respect it, just like you would respect your schoolmaster or your teacher, because the law reveals God's character. It convicts of sin, and it points us to the Savior. But you are not under its authority. You are led by the Spirit, and because of that, you have the law written on your heart. Tim Keller says here, the adult child is no longer coerced into obedience as before, but now has internalized the basic values and lives in a similar manner because he or she wants to. Closed quote. Are you hearing that, friends? Obedience for the Christian now is a matter of trust, maturity and love. It's not about fear. It's not about earning salvation. If we're in Christ, we have nothing to fear. If we're in Christ, we already have salvation. But if we're in Christ, then we're also filled with the spirit of Christ. The spirit of the Son who delighted to obey the Father. And led by that Spirit, we will live in a similar manner. Thanks be to God.
0: And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you would like to support this program, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes as it will help other people find and access these materials. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find our entire library of content over at the Into the Word website at IntoTheWord.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, just go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. You can also contribute through the Into the Word app. We hope to connect with you again really soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.